So this is a little one-off talk. I just felt really impressed, as it were, by the Lord to, to speak uh, on this little topic just for this Sunday. And it's, the, the title of the talk is called Lost and Found. And uh, we're going to be looking at what for many, not for everyone by any means, but what for many is a very well-known passage in Luke's Gospel uh, called, uh, it's, it's, it's chapter 15. And we're going to read the whole of that in just a moment. But I've been thinking about this whole business of being lost and, and, and being found, and certainly that's my, my story. But uh, it's something that, that resonates at all sorts of levels. In fact, I don't know whether you know this, but before we got into this, Fliss and I used to have a jewelry business. We used to retail and manufacture jewelry. And uh, I can remember probably one of the worst moments in that whole uh, adventure, that business, was when... Uh, the father of a friend of mine, a very good friend of mine, uh, when I was visiting him one, one weekend, said to me, I wonder, he said, I, I brought a stone back, a polished stone from uh, Sri Lanka, or Ceylon as it was then called, after the war, and I've had it in a little, you know, little envelope for a long time. I wonder whether perhaps you could set it for me in a, in a signet ring. And uh, I said, I'd be, I'd be honored to do that. And so he got this thing, and it was what they call a star sapphire. It was, a, it was actually cut in a dome. They call that a cabochon. And it was, they're not particularly valuable, but they are striking. It was sort of dark midnight color with this kind of star in it which shines. It's quite an attractive thing. So anyway, uh, you know, we discussed what he would want, and I took it back. And, and at that time, I was still working in the workshop myself. And uh, I lost the stone. Oh, my. And I tell you, I turned this place upside down. My partner thought I was, was going mental. <laughs> I kept saying, get out of the way, stand up, stand up, stand up. And we, have, we used to have these great sort of, um, underneath the, the, there's a curved bench jewelers use with a peg on it. And there's these kind of things that catch all the dross, you know, because, you know, it's clearly gold and silver filings are very valuable. And I was going through all this stuff trying to, I could not find this stone. I still to this day don't know where that stone went. When we shut that um, workshop down and, and moved, uh, I, I spent my whole time looking for that. And yet I could not find it. I, I, I mean, it, I don't know what happened to that stone. What I had to do was, of course, face the music. And I had to finally accept that I had lost the stone. And, and I thought, I'm going to have to speak. I'm, I'm gonna, this is talk about eating humble pie. Uh, and uh, so I, I, rang, uh, I rang this friend's father up and said, look, I, I, I don't know what to say to you, but I, 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 I've misplaced. I've misplaced the stone. And uh, he wasn't very happy. In fact, there was some quite inventive language that came down the phone. But I was able to buy another one for him. Again, as I say, it wasn't too expensive. And make this ring. And in the end, it ended well. But there was certainly that sense of I couldn't believe that I had lost it. And just for me, that whole business of coming to my senses and, and owning up to the fact that I had lost this stone. I'd, I'd never done it before, never done it since. Uh, you know, it was quite a humbling experience. And I think sometimes being lost is, is a humbling experience. I mean, it's a cliche, isn't it, that, 
that you know, the, the women, when we're driving, you girls want to get the map out, but uh, the guys always say, no, 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 it's all right. I know where we are, I, I know where we are. And, and we have difficulty with that. So, so I've been thinking about that. I'll give you one or two more stories as we get into it. But let's now get into God's word, and I'm going to do as I said I did. But I want to ask a question. I want to ask this question before I read this passage, and I want to say, okay, listen to the passage. There may be a number of things that strike you. But I want to ask you this question. What are they doing in heaven? You know, we pray in the Lord's Prayer, you know, let it be on earth as it is in heaven. And if we're praying that it's going to be on earth as it is in heaven, what's heaven like? What's happening in heaven now that we want to happen on earth, you know? And, and as we read through this passage with these sto- three stories of lost and found, you may well get a bit of a clue as to what's going on in heaven. So, so that's just a little bit of something to, to listen to this story with. So I'm going to take a sip of my water, and uh, we'll get straight into it. It's Luke chapter 15. If you brought a Bible with you, please turn with me to that. If you haven't, or you're using a smart device, please do that. But at any rate, it'll come up on the screen. Okay. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country? Go after the lost sheep until he finds it. And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I've found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels over one sinner who repents. And Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off to a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen in of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. And when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, 
Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the oldest son was in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard music and, and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come home, he replied, and your father has filled, killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Now there's a context to this chapter which is actually quite important. This, these stories are, are, are intriguing, they're engaging, there's a number of things that we can say about them. But when Jesus spoke in that day, to the, in that context, these would have had a profound impact. In fact, it would have made some people angry it would have upset people as many as it comforted. And the three stories are constructed in a particular way, but there is a, a bookend either side of the three stories. It starts, and some of you may remember this, in the first verse it says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he's telling these stories in a context where there is, a, uh, there is a, a, a bit of murmuring going on, a bit of grumbling going on. Why? Because Jesus, who is supposedly the Messiah, is hanging out with the wrong people. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. So it begins with this setting the scene. Jesus is telling these stories with this kind of undercurrent going on. And he finishes the three stories with the elder brother really having a problem and expressing that problem to the father and saying, look, this guy, he should be written out of our lives. I don't want him here. But what do you do? He comes back and you celebrate. You know, you go, you know, you, you go crazy. I don't get it. You see, the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious leaders of that day, they were born with a silver spoon in their mouth, if, if that expression still is relevant today. They were born into privilege. By virtue of their birth, they were in. And actually, the scribes and the Pharisees were very conscious of who was in and who was out. You know, some people say the scribes and Pharisees were very conscious of keeping the law, you know, and Moses' law and keeping the religious observances. And yes, they did all of that, and that's what they were known for. But at root, it wasn't about religious observance or not religious observance. It was actually about who's in and who's out. 
And they had this deep understanding, this worldview, this mindset that actually they were in and the others were out. And yet this, excuse me, this Messiah, this Messiah, this great teacher, this miracle worker, this Jesus, instead of wanting to hang out with them, he goes and hangs out with the wrong kind of people. So there's a deep offense going on, but Jesus, it seems, is unrepentant. Jesus clearly does not mind that these people are so-called tax collectors and sinners, which is basically saying, you know, the pits. Now the stories then, the three stories are designed to actually touch everyone's life, and it's about loss. Loss and then things being found. And basically, and I think we could probably identify with this, you know, we've prayed God's blessings on these little ones here, and I pray and long that I hope that they will prosper in, in all the things that this seem important in this world, you know, that they'll prosper, you know, that they will, uh, they will have wealth, and that they will know great family, know great family and community. We've, we've, you know, we've played that blessing. Well, what we see here is, is actually a story that would have related very, very strongly to that community, everyone, not just the scribes and the Pharisees whose noses have been put out of joint, but they would be, in the story of the lost sheep, what, what really Jesus is talking about is, is the loss or depletion of, of what we might say is prosperity. What, you know, what, what is that today? I don't know, it may be different things for different people, but generally speaking, you know, if you've got a roof over your head, if you're fortunate enough to own your own house, gosh, you know, or if you've got you know, a, a reasonable car, you know, or a, a fancy car, uh, you've got the trappings of prosperity. To have flocks was an indication that God had blessed you, and that that's how prosperity was superficially measured, the size of your flocks. So we're talking to those who are prospering here, and suddenly a sheep goes missing. Whoa! And suddenly what Jesus does in that moment, he says, you know, you know, if you lose so much as a sheep, you notice. It's not like, oh, silly sheep, you know, I've got 99 more. It's actually, it, it hits you. It, there's something about it, you know. We get very, or some people get very uptight about boundaries and Cypress Lalandi trees and, you know, things, you know, growing over your neighbor's fence or the dog barking, all this kind of stuff. You know, we get all wound up because we feel like there's, there's an imposition. We feel like there's, you know, the, the, we feel under threat. Well, there's a sense of loss. Well, here, what Jesus is really talking about is the perception of prosperity. And it was absolutely, you know, if, if you were a, a wealthy shepherd, uh, a herdsman, an owner of sheep, well, then God had prospered you. The second thing is, is about money, but not just any old kind of money. You see, in those days, as you're probably aware, when a woman married, there was a diary. There are many diary societies still. And the family had to pay the bridegroom's family a, a usually substantial sum of money. But the bride herself was given a, a bridal dress and a bridal crown. It wasn't so much a crown as, as just an adornment. And, and so it's generally thought that when this widow loses her bridal, a coin from that, you know, that hits her deeply. 
And it hits her deeply for two reasons. There's sentimental value. It's my family gave me it. But actually, it was more than that. It was insurance. How many of us you know, have got, are insured up to the hilt? Maybe some of you are not insured at all. But there are those people who will take out insurance to get everything, just trying to control their environment. Well, for her, what it was insurance for was if she died childless. Because if you were a widow without a son or without children, you were very, very vulnerable. You generally ended up outside the city gates, poverty stricken, and eating whatever was thrown your way. So for a woman who was living in, in a society where the child mortality was high, where all manner of things could happen, you know, this was your little insurance thing. Whatever else went on, you got this. So when she loses some of it, boy, her world is rocked. And all the women listening would have gone, oh my gosh, Jesus, did she find it? Did she find it? Oh my gosh, oh, I don't know what would I do. If I, you know, this kind of thing. And then there's this third story about, uh, it's generally, it's become known as the prodigal son. I don't know, yeah, it's about, you know, it's a famous story. But this is about the loss of family. So, you know, Jesus is talking about the loss of prosperity, the loss of wealth, and then the loss of family. And that's three things that make up what most people consider to be a good life. And in this story, of course, which we could spend more time going into, but I'm not going to do that today, the boy... It causes possibly, but it turns out not to be, but possibly irreparable damage to his relationship with his father when he says to him, Dad, I want my inheritance and I want it now. Because in that culture, it would be offensive in this society today, 21st century, but in that, sen- in that culture, what was being said was, I want you dead. I can't be bothered to wait until you drop dead for whatever reason. I, I want you to, you know, I want my, you know, money and I want it now. And the father, for reasons that are frankly are beyond me, gives him it. But anyway, he gives him it, and he goes off. And he's ostensibly out of sight, out of mind. He's the son we don't talk about. You know, I know families like that. I, I, well, I say families. I know a family who has an offspring who they don't talk about because of some terrible ruckus way back, way back. And so that's... So in, in a community that where family was everything, you know, sons and daughters were again a sign of God's blessing. When the sons and daughters turn against you, you know, there is a deep and a profound thing. But in every case, in, in this, Jesus has the last word. So what he's trying to do here is he's actually speaking to the scribes and the Pharisees, but he's taking that opportunity to tell a story that hopefully will gather everybody in. He wants to draw people up close because he wants to make a profound and simple but absolutely crucial point. Before I tell you what that is, let me tell you another story. Uh, I lost, or we lost, Samuel once. And uh, we were out shopping uh, Samuel was the fine young man on the end there, and uh, he's my son, our son, and we were shopping, and uh, we were walking along a pedestrian precinct, we have four kids, and we were in a bit of a rush, and as we're walking along this pedestrian precinct, we took a, a little right turn down a, a, a little passage to go to the car park, which was behind that, 
And so we all went off like that. And we get, finally we get to the car and the kids are all mucking around and we went the boot, we're trying to get the, the Sophie's push chair in and all that kind of stuff. And we're getting all the kids in and suddenly we think, hang on a minute, there's one missing. <laughs> we had, it's true, it's ghastly, isn't it? <laughs> we had lost Samuel. And in that moment, you know, big city and all the rest of, you know, we thought, oh my gosh. And then suddenly we went into overdrive, you know, get the kids out, get the pusher out, you know, blah, 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 like this. And we charged back, didn't we, across this big car park, back down this gunnel. And we were looking in the, in the pedestrian precinct, where's Samuel gone? And uh, there, there we saw two worried grown-ups and an even more worried little boy in the middle. And what had happened was we were all chatting and busy and you know, a big family talking to one another. And we all sort of got this gunnel. And Samuel's sort of wandering along, minding his own business, and he carries on. <laughs> and we don't miss him. Well, the relief of finding him was absolutely indescribable, as you can imagine. Maybe you've lost one of your children for a few moments. And that is probably the worst feeling there is. So as this gentleman had, as, he, as his son returned in this case, because his son came to his, his senses, you know, there was, there was a reason to rejoice. There really was. You know, whether or not you've been able to identify with any of these stories or just been mildly engaged, it's curious because we actually don't speak too much in today's society about the feeling of being lost. And yet it is there to be seen. It is there in our culture. People often speak about feeling overwhelmed or, you know, work's killing me or, uh, you know, just disconnected or I need some counseling or this kind of stuff. But actually, for many of us, it's a profound sense of loss. And I came across this little video uh, thing from a guy called Moby or uh, who came out about a year ago, and I've been saving it for such a time as this. So just sit back and enjoy, I hope, this little video cartoon. It takes about three minutes. Thank you. A friend sent me that a year ago, and I thought, wow, that is quite profound, really. And it is a, a commentary on our society with all this social media and all the all the aspects of supposedly connectedness, actually it's becoming something that's isolating us. Fliss and I are bits of a fan of a program called First Dates. Anybody watched that on the TV? Anybody seen that? Yes, yeah, some of you. And, and it is fascinating. These people are, uh, you know, they're blind dates on TV and they're actually very, sometimes heartwarming, sometimes amusing. But time and time again, people have turned to social media to try and connect with people and it's just not working. It's promising much but delivering little. Well, the good news is this story is not just lost and found. This story is found as well. And what Jesus said then is true for today. Luke chapter 19, verse 10, and I think we've got it on the screen, is this. For the Son of Man, that's another name for Jesus, a title, came to seek and to save that which was lost. You know, that's how he, he, he defined his mission. He came to seek and to save those that were lost. That is a wonderful and extraordinary thing, which we don't hear enough of. He didn't come to sort of you know, establish good religion. He, he didn't come to establish his praise on earth. He didn't come you know, uh, for a whole host of things primarily. 
What he primarily came was to seek and to save those who were lost. And for those of you who feel a sense of disconnectedness, which I think we can all do from time to time, it's good to know that we have a God whose, whose impulse is to rescue us. He's a divine rescuer. Now, the Pharisees, they were just concerned with who was in and who was out, who had been born to the right family, who was showing up to the right high feasts and holidays in the temple. But what Jesus was saying here in this passage, he was, he, he was not ashamed to hang out with the, the sinners, as they called them, because he was there to seek and to save those who were lost. You know, your performance and their performance did not was not the thing that actually got you in or got, got you out, whether you're a good person or a bad person or an indifferent person. What Jesus was saying then and says now is, to qualify, all you've got to do is recognize that you're lost. The Pharisees just didn't get that. They actually were full of judgment and criticism of these people, who were most people. But actually... What Jesus does, he says, I am here for them. I am here for them. And mark my words, and I asked you a question when I began to read that passage. He, what Jesus said then and says now, there is more rejoicing in heaven about one of these that gets found than there is 99 righteous people, self-righteous people. That is a profound message, and it would not have been lost on Jesus' hearers. We have a disadvantage in the 21st century, because of course we're not looking at the same culture. There aren't the sort of, the background story isn't immediately apparent to us. We're not sensing the swirling tensions that Jesus is dealing with, which is why I wanted to show you that Moby thing, because we define lostness today in different ways. You know, loss of prosperity, maybe. Loss of wealth, maybe. Loss of family, certainly. Loss of connectedness. You know, that that song, the, the the refrain goes, you know, are you lost in this world like me? The systems are failing, the systems are failing. And that's truly what we see ministering into this community, ministering into this region. We see that, yes, systems are failing, but the effect is it's not just about food on the table. You can be wealthy, but the system can be failing you. And and you can feel lost, and you can feel disconnected, disenfranchised, overwhelmed, and frankly, just plain worried. But the good news is this that Jesus Christ came to seek those that were lost. Seek and save those who were lost. So to those of you who are in that place, I I want you to hear the joy of the Father. You know, we read that passage in Luke 15. Luke chapter 15, verse 32, it says this. You know, the Father gives an account to the grumpy son who had some justification, it has to be said, for his you know, his fed upness, his bad temper. But the father says, and this is the father speaking to any who would, you know, object to your finding faith, your finding a place in Jesus, with, with Jesus in the father's home. You know, he, sa- he says this, but we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. 
That's what drives the Father's heart. I'm going to ask the band to come up, and we're just going to finish off in just a moment. But as, as we do that, I'm just going to wind things up here. You know, please, you know, whatever you've thought about religion, whatever you've thought about Christianity, whatever you've thought about the church, all that bad stuff, probably 90% of it is right. The stuff, the, the outrage that's sometimes expressed in the press about statements or behavior of priests and pastors and goodness knows what, is justified. But I want to say to you, as a pastor, as someone who has been ordained as a priest, you know, please forgive me, we have not represented God our Father well. Because actually what we found here at Vineyard and what other churches are beginning to find, that actually we got it wrong from the very days we went to theological college. I spent seven years doing theological education. You know, the truth of the matter is that the heart of this is God's heart. And God's heart is for the lost. It's not about performance. Am I good enough to get to heaven? That's the wrong question. Actually, what it's about is, do you know you're lost? This young man came to his senses. He came home. And for some of you, you may have been taken along to church or to Sunday school, and it may have been a bad experience. You may have been taken along by a parent or an aunt or something like that, for those of who are older. For some of you, will have never been, had a tradition. The younger ones among us will never have had a tradition of church. You're probably the lucky ones, possibly. But I want you to hear now the Father's heart. And the Father's heart is this. He, want, he is celebrating because even now, in the 21st century, people are coming home to Jesus. And I want to say to you, and I said it to a lady last week who, who gave her life to Christ. I want to say to you, as I often say, welcome home. Welcome home. You are welcome.